Hey y'all, welcome to the Sweet Tea and Jesus podcast hosted by Kelsey Hamrick and Tara McAdam. We are two sisters who desire to grow in love for Jesus. You are not alone and we want to come alongside you with challenges, laughter, questions, prayers, and the eternal hope of the gospel. Whether you're on your way to work, changing your 10th dirty diaper today, or drinking a glass of sweet tea, we pray you are strengthened and filled with joy from these biblical truths today. Welcome back to the Sweet Tea and Jesus podcast. Today we have a very special guest with us. We are going to talk about the topic of adoption with Miss Bethany. I'm so pumped to dive into today's topic with my very dear friend Bethany Broderick. We um, are so excited you're here today. Um, Bethany, why don't you tell our listeners all about yourself and who you are? Because some of them may not know who you are. Awesome. Yeah, my name is Bethany Broderick, and I live in Birmingham, Alabama with my husband, who we've been married for almost 10 years now. And I have three young children, two uh, biologically and one through adoption. And so I'm a wife and mom and writer. And so I spend my day spinning a lot of different plates, but I'm really thankful for where the Lord has put me right now. Awesome. Jose, tell us some of your favorite things. Okay. So uh, I'll tell you some recent favorite things. Um, For Amazon Prime Day, I got a Nespresso machine and it is one of my favorite things ever to in the morning to have like the most perfect cup of coffee. It's wonderful. Yeah, um, just fancy coffee. I love that. It's so fancy, but you also, um, I don't put all the sugar in it that like if you go to like a Starbucks, I guess I could ask for something without sugar from Starbucks. And then why would I pay them $6 if right. I didn't? Right. Yeah. But uh, so yeah, it's like fancy and yet a lot less sugar. And so it's just a really sweet way and to enjoy the morning. But that's mm-hmm. one of my most recent favorite things. Oh, I, I love, love that. that. Me too. Um, well, I have known Bethany now for almost 10 years, which I can't believe. I was thinking about that. Um, We went to the same church together in Auburn, and we actually knew each other pre-kids. So Bethany's got three, I've got four. And so our friendship is has been a long time coming and it's truly a joy and an honor, you know, just to have you as a friend in my life and a sister in Christ and just a person that's in my corner. So I'm just so thankful <laughs> for you and we're so glad you're on the show today. Um, well, as you guys heard, today's topic is all about adoption and the Bible definitely talks about adoption multiple times in the scripture, um, you know, specifically a lot of times it combines orphans with widows. Um, And, you know, today we're just focusing on adoption. And in James 127, you know, it talks about how religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And then another verse in John 14, 18, you know, Jesus even talks about how he will not leave us as orphans. Jesus talks about, Mm -hmm. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you in John 14, 18. And so again, this this word orphan, this word adoption, um, we would love to just dive in and learn about what the Bible talks about as far as adoption. And Bethany, we, we want to hear all about your story and what you guys have learned through this journey. And we want to share all of this information just to enlighten our listeners, um, open their eyes to yeah. this possibility of something that they've heard about, they may not know about. There, there might be a family that's considering adoption. They might have a family member who has adopted and they may not really know how to handle that circumstance or situation. 
situation. So we just want to talk about this. So you ready to dive in? (laughs) Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So our first question is going to be, what does the Bible teach us about adoption? Yeah. Well, I think that when many people start thinking about adoption, they uh, immediately want to skip to the New Testament because just like, you know, even the verses that Tara shared, and those are such good, rich verses where it talks a lot about how adoption is a picture of how God has adopted us into his family. And Mm -hmm. in fact, when we made t-shirts for a adoption fundraiser, we included a portion of Romans 8.14 on it, which says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So we have this beautiful reality of adoption um, as a picture of what God has done for us. Um, But as we continue to walk through the adoption journey, I began to see adoption in the greater picture of God's redemptive story. And I I really began to look at why adoption um, is a reality in the first place. Because if you Mm. look at the beginning, when God created the first family in Genesis 2, he created Adam and Eve. He made them husband and wife and said he blessed their marriage and then told them to be fruitful and multiply. A family was God's primary way of cultivating the earth. Yet in Genesis 3, when sin enters the world, the family is broken. There is now Mm -hmm. strife between husband and wife, between siblings. In the following chapters, there is polygamy, there is murder, there is sexual Mm -hmm. immorality. The Mm -hmm. family unit is now broken because of sin. There was no need for adoption in Eden. Mm -hmm. It only became a reality after the fall when vulnerable children are left with the consequences of a sinful, broken world. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. And and yet Psalm 68, 5 tells us that God is the father of the fatherless and the protector of widows. So God knew that when sin entered the world, that there would be people who would be um, hurt and left out and uncared for in a sinful and broken world. And he specifically said that he is looking out for those people who cannot take care of themselves. Mm. And so he cares for those who suffer because of family brokenness, specifically the orphans and the widows who in that time didn't have any way to care for themselves if they lost their parents or for widows if they lost their husbands. And 42 times in the Old Testament, God addresses the fatherless and the widows. He commands his people to care for them, to protect them, to provide for them. He actually, I believe in Isaiah, he chastises the Israelites for doing all the right religious things and yet completely forgetting to take care of these vulnerable population. Mm -hmm. And so while the word adoption is not mentioned in the Old Testament, the idea of caring for broken families and vulnerable children is. And so Mm -hmm. that's why it's not surprising when we come to the New Testament and I actually had the same verse written down, Tara, to share that James uh, 127 says, religion that is pure and undefiled before the God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So this didn't just come when Christ came and used that metaphor of orphan and adoption to talk about how he cares for us. God all along in the story of redemption has been caring for the vulnerable, has been taking care of these orphans. And so mm-hmm. the reason I wanted to go back to the Old Testament and talk about how adoption and orphan care is a response to our brokenness um, is because as I've been in this process, sometimes the Christians want to glorify adoption. Mm-hmm. We want to say, oh, you're doing such a good thing or, oh, wow, they are so lucky to have you. And while, yes, we are so thankful that God has allowed adoption to be a part of our story, we have to 
see adoption not just as this this gift that God has given us, but he's given us this gift because there's brokenness, because there's trauma. And so our adoption story only happened because there's brokenness in this world. We're not the savior here. Only God is. He is the one redeeming these broken pieces. And we are just a family that God is using to step into another family's brokenness. And so Mm -hmm. it's a reality that we grieve that adoption even has to exist. And we look forward to the day when Christ returns and redeems all of creation and adoption will be no more. There will be no need for adoption when Christ comes again. But until then, God has always called his people, both the Israelites all the way to James in the New Testament. God has always called his people to care for vulnerable children. And adoption is just one way that we can obey that call. Oh man, Mm -hmm. I love that perspective, Bethany. That's awesome. Yeah. And even just talking about how even in Eden, there was no need for adoption in Eden, but it wasn't until the fall happened. And just to realize that all the, like you said, the consequences of sin in this fallen world. I thought it was a beautiful, beautiful description of what the Bible teaches us. Oh man. Okay. So in talking about adoption, especially in today's culture and in church culture, you know, you hear the term fostering, you hear the term adoption. And so some of our listeners may not know, like, what's the difference between fostering and adoption? Is it the same thing? Is it different? And so would you kind of explain that? Yeah. And I want to mention up front that we don't have any personal experience with foster care. So what I share is just my perspective from talking with friends who have been a part of the foster care system. Also, I just want to mention that foster care is something that's unique to the U.S. and other developed countries. Like many countries don't have foster care and Mm -hmm. rely on orphanages. So I just wanted to make that kind of clarification. But children in the U.S. that enter foster care system, that usually happens when the state takes custody due to some sort of family brokenness. There's a a whole host of reasons why that might be. Um, Sometimes it might be because the parents have both passed away, but usually there's some other um, issue that causes the government to take custody. The goal of fostering usually is that the child would be removed from that family for a short time until the family can make some adjustments. Um, So they go to live with a foster family until, but the goal is family reunification. So the system's Mm -hmm. goal is to equip that, that family to bring the child back and be reunified. Sometimes when reunification is not possible, children are adopted out of the foster care system. Now adoption occurs when first family have either passed away or mm. have terminated their rights and the adoptive family takes legal custody of the child. And I wanted to, so I, I want to say front that our, um, our story is one of domestic adoption. There are a lot of key differences, not just between domestic and international, but international from country to country. Every country has their own laws. Every country has their own processes. And so if you are a friend of a family who is adopting international, Ashley, know that their story might be different. And so you can ask them, like, what does the process look like for you? And even from state to state, some things can change. But I do want to make some clarifications on some pretty commonly used terms that I think a lot of Christians don't realize the ramifications for. So when we talk about, well, first I'll say, when we talk about our daughter's first family or birth family, they're not her real parents. They're her birth parents. We Mm -hmm. are her adoptive parents and they are her birth parents. 
we are both her real parents. We both loved her enough to want what was best for her. So we always talk with honor about her birth family. And when we talk about the choices that her birth family made, we don't say they gave her up for adoption. Mm. They didn't give anybody up. They very intentionally made an adoption plan that was an intentional choice, not just something that happened or they they made it out of bravery and out of love for their daughter. And if if a birth mom wants, they, she doesn't keep a baby. She may parent her child. That's a key difference. If this isn't just a commodity that's either given up or kept. It's their choices could be they made an adoption plan or they chose to parent their child. And then I, also I love that. Of- I've never thought about the, just changing those terms. And like even the, like you said, the ramifications of even using some of those terms, just not even looking at it from that vantage point. That's really, really insightful. Yeah, I love that because I can't imagine just how impactful that's going to be as she grows to to not feel like, oh, I was given up for some reason or I did something wrong, but wow, they loved me enough to do this. It's a huge, huge difference in how she will be able to view it as well. I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then one more term I want to introduce is something that I had no clue about to enter this world is that the adoption really is a triad. There is the first family or birth family. There is the adoption family and there's also the child. So there's three points to this triangle and all three experience some sort of trauma or brokenness that brings them to the point of adoption. And all three are affected by adoption and all three need care throughout the process. And so Mm. again, there's just more research and understanding about how much trauma is, is a part of this, how much brokenness is a part of this really, really beautiful gift that God Mm. has given us. But this gift only comes after that brokenness. And so whenever we talk about adoption, we want to make sure that we do honor all three parts of that adoption triad and care for all three parts, because sometimes the church doesn't always see all three as equal in dignity and as equal as care. And just, we have to be really careful how we think about all those people who are involved and making sure we we treat them with, with dignity. And even today, like as I share our story, I'm going to be really, try to be really careful about sharing just our little corner of the triangle because our first family story, that's theirs to share. And our daughter's mm-hmm. story, that's hers to share. We, I can mm-hmm. share our parts of it, but one day she can have the choice how much she wants to share about her journey of adoption. Mm, I love that. So when did you and Joseph start talking about adoption? Was it before you were married, after you were married? Yeah. So um, I had grown up in a church that had always um, been really active in orphan care and adoption. In fact, I had uh, several people in my class at my school in this small, small Alabama town that were adopted from Ukraine. My husband moved to the same city. Like he was around those kids too. And then our our two churches after that were also very involved in international adoption. Our the first the church that we intended when we were dating and engaged, the pastor had two adopted children and really encouraged people in the congregation to adopt. The church where in Auburn where we were at with the McAdams, we even helped fundraise for our college pastor to bring home their second daughter through adoption. And mm-hmm. so we had always seen the impact that adoption could have. And so actually before we were married, we were like, we don't know if we will be able to have biological kids. We hope we can. 
can. But no matter what, biological or no biological, we really want adoption to be part of our story. And we feel like God is calling us to make adoption a part of our story. But we had only really ever heard of international adoption. Like we knew domestic adoption existed, but we'd only really ever seen international. And we had just kind of assumed that whenever we adopted, we would adopt internationally. Hmm. Um, That changed in our second year of marriage when my husband's younger sister, who was 18 at the time and was living with her boyfriend, she got pregnant. And while um, she was excited for this unexpected pregnancy, her boyfriend was not. And he told her that she could either get an abortion or she was kicked out of their apartment. And so we got a call asking us to pick her up on the curb in the city where she lived. And she came to live with us for about six months and she didn't have a car. So I was responsible for taking her to all of her medical appointments. And we are really thankful that our town in Auburn had a really, really sweet and intentional crisis pregnancy center. And so I took her there and they helped her with a whole array of services because she did plan to parent her child and helped her get set up with different social services, helped her give her parenting classes. They provided her with maternity clothes because yeah. after my second year of marriage, I didn't know where to go find maternity clothes or that they even right. <laughs> But as I took her to these classes, I started meeting other moms, other women who had had unexpected pregnancies and could see what um, courage it took for them to choose life for their child and what a hard journey many of them are facing. And I began to see why so many of these women often felt like their only choice was abortion. And and to see how centers like that one in Auburn were showing them that there is other ways that we can help you and we can provide you that support. And so it was through that, that my husband and I were like, if we ever get to choose to adopt, we want to adopt domestically to, to help one of these women who is making such a hard choice to choose life for her baby when there are so many things working against her. And right. even the, my husband's sister saying, you will lose everything if you choose to keep to not abort your baby. Mm, And we just wanted to be, we know we just are one family, but we could be a part of helping maybe one mom choose life for her child. And so it, that started the process and Mm. we ended up having two children biologically before um, adoption became part of our family story. But it was something that we had always, we had wanted ever since we were engaged. Mm, I love that. And, And I think that's such a good topic to talk about with your person that you're seriously considering marrying because this was something thankfully you both saw lived out in the church and you could see that. And I know for some people that might only be one spouse. And so you come into a relationship with somebody and you don't know what your fertility story is going to look like. You don't know whether or not you're going to be able to have biological children or not. And so I think that, you know, like you said, both of you talking about it before marriage and and even, you know, seriously conversations in marriage, I think is something that every couple that's dating or engaged, definitely a conversation that needs to come up, whether or not you're ready to jump the gun and have kids as soon as you get married, or if you're going to wait five to six years, whatever your story or hope your story may be. I do do think this is a topic that should be discussed about because just one of those things you want to be on the same page and seek counsel where you need to just, you know, kind of have all that done before. I do want to add into even you talking about the pregnancy crisis center. I think that there are pregnancy resource centers and crisis centers everywhere. I volunteer at one and I didn't know much about it until I started volunteering, but they really do offer so much help. They do the free ultrasounds and they do the parenting classes to help just love on these moms and pray over them and 
prepare them, give them clothes, diapers, all of these things. So I definitely encourage anyone listening to get familiar with those centers that are nearby to see if there's any way that you can help, even donating time or things that they may need, or to be able to be prepared if there's someone that you come across that is struggling to be able to go like, I know a place that can really help you. Because I think till someone just called me out of the blue and said, hey, will you work here? I didn't know the extent of all they really do for these women. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Mm-hmm. So Bethany, let me ask you this. When you guys started having like a serious conversation post second child about, hey, we've always wanted to adopt is now the time kind of thing. What were some of your criteria for an adoption agency? Yeah. So having been a part of that crisis pregnancy center and seeing the dignity and the compassion that they had treated Joseph's sister, we knew that we wanted an adoption agency that was really focused on providing care to all three parts of the adoption triad. And so we went with Lifeline Children's Services here in Birmingham, Alabama, though they are licensed in many states across the United States and also So they do international adoption and foster care classes. And what we loved about them is that they saw domestic adoption specifically as discipleship. They saw, they actually call it their birth mother ministry. They don't even see it in terms of centering around the adoptive family. They center the ministry around the first family. And so when they work with a mom, they actually, their default is not that she's going to make an adoption plan. In fact, 60% of the birth mothers that they work with choose to parent. And it is their wow. joy. Yeah, that's awesome. Wow. And it's their joy to help prepare them. They have a women's home that they can go to if housing insecurity is a reason that they might not choose to parent. They provide different sorts of classes, help connect them to other pregnancy centers. And we loved that this wasn't just some middleman making a buck on parents who wanted to adopt. No, they really wanted to care for the first families. They wanted to care for the adoptee and they wanted to care for us too. It wasn't like we were chopped liver. They right. wanted to care for us too. And we, they saw it as over and over again, we were told this is discipleship, that the people at Lifeline were discipling us, that we were able, um, they were able to disciple these first families. And sometimes even adoptive families were able to have really great relationships with those first families. And I just wanted to point out there, if anyone else, there is thinking about adoption. Not every agency does that. Mm, there are yeah. a lot of agencies that even if they are Christian, they are, their focus is on the adoptive family because unfortunately there are families that, that they don't know the ethical implications and they just really want a child. And sometimes agencies can take advantage of that and they can really do a disservice, not only to the first family, but also to the child and even to the adoptive family. And so it's yeah. really important to look at how how your, if you choose to pursue adoption, like what that agency is doing and how they are caring for all three parts. But specifically, we also wanted one that would provide support for us because we knew, thankfully, through some of the friends that we had who had, who had adopted, that this would be a really tough journey. And so they provided us biblical and practical training, like even just to get our home study completed. We had to attend a conference where we learned about trauma-informed therapy and because we were wow. adopting domestically about prenatal trauma and transracial adoption and all these host of issues. And even now we have a, even though we're a year past our adoption date, like we still have someone who checks in on us to ask to see if we have 
any questions and they provide lifelong counseling for our adoptive daughter. Like if she ever needs to talk to someone and they, yeah, that is incredible. That's incredible. We love our agency and like no agency is perfect. So you know, maybe someone's listening to this and like, I didn't have a good experience. And I mean, there is so much paperwork and it is a long process, but like, if you look at the core of whatever agency you end up going with, like, look at the core of who they are. Do they see this as just a, a bunch of matchmaking, just trying to get the babies passed off? Or do they see this as a ministry, as a way to fulfill God's command to care for the orphan and these vulnerable families? Oh, man. Mm. I, I do have a question before we get into some more nitty gritty details. When I think of adoption internationally or domestically, I think of it costs a lot. Mm. So, and that's something that's like, you know, you may have a family willing or a couple willing or a single willing, but they're like, man, tens of thousands of dollars. So did that, is that something that ever was a red flag for y'all or that you were like, how are we going to do this? Or did you just cut a check? Like, <laughs> Not the last one. No, um, it was a huge problem. In fact, when um, we started looking at adoption, actually in between our first and second biological child, we started the process and finances were the biggest question we had because we knew what the price tag was and we knew that that we would have years to raise this or save this but when we got matched which we can talk about that process in a second we knew that the money would be due that we would be sent a bill and it was a great fear of ours that we would be matched with this this beautiful baby and then not know how to pay the bills right right and it was something we prayed through and struggled through and sought counsel and at the time I was studying the book of Joshua and I was just struggling with Lord like I just need to know that you are going to provide for me, provide for our adoption process before we move forward. Hmm. And I got to um, the part of Joshua where they are about to enter the promised land and this group of Israelites who had heard, they hadn't seen it, but they had heard about their parents who God had split the Red Sea for them so that God can make a way. And so they get to the Jordan and they know what God can do. But instead of splitting the, the sea, the river, instead of stopping the river first for this generation, he asked them to step into the rushing river before he stopped it. Mm. That he they had to act in faith. And so whereas in in the Moses in the Red Sea, he raised his staff and the water split this, the water did not stop until the priests put their foot into that gushing river. Mm. And it was like God was saying, you have to step out in faith and trust that I will do what I promised to do. Because we knew that God had called us to adoption and we knew where God was leading us. And it was so hard because it, it seemed like an irresponsible decision, but we just knew in our hearts that the Lord was saying, like, step out in faith and I will provide. And it has been one of the most mind boggling ways that the Lord has answered that and that we were able through fundraising, through writing grants. And it was a lot of work doing those things. It's not like we just sat back and yeah. watched the money roll in. No, like we worked hard yeah. to, to fundraise, to save, to write grants. But the Lord provided every last dime that we mm, need. Wow. And it was just a really sweet way of saying that like whatever it may be for the family who's listening it's not the finances that's holding you back but you may feel that the lord is calling you and you're not sure how you would care for a child that may end up having more significant needs or maybe you don't know how your extended family
family would react? And those are all really important questions to wrestle through. But if the Lord is calling you to do something, I have found through this process that he is faithful to provide you what you need every step of the way, but not before you need it. Mm, uh, that's good. I love that. Okay. So Bethany, will you share your adoption story with us? Yeah. So in 2019, in between the birth of our two biological children, when our oldest daughter was about a year old, we started the adoption process and we went through the home study process and it was very, very long and very, (laughs) it was probably one of the most difficult parts of the process was how long that took and all the fits and starts and paperwork and all the different meetings. The next day, we finally get through it all. And the next day we were ready to start um, showing our profile book to go active. And we found out I was pregnant. (laughs) So we had to put it on hold, which was kind of a surprise, a joyful surprise, but a um, surprise. Anyway, so after my, our second born was a year old, we restarted the process and updated our home study. So the adoption process looks like no matter where you adopt domestically, internationally, you're going to have to do a home study with a social worker for domestic adoption after your home study is complete. It's different depending on the agency, but most agencies will have you put together what's called a profile book, which basically is just a book with pictures and information about your family for birth mothers to choose from. And so we finished our home study, finished our profile book, and then had to say what sort of situation we were looking for, like how open we wanted to be with the adoption, what sort of special needs we were open to having in our family. Once we did all that, we were called active. And then there was more waiting and waiting. We would go some weeks where we would get four info summaries in a row. And an info summary would basically be information about a mom and baby who were who had decided to make an adoption plan. And so we they would ask us, do you want us to show them your profile book? And we could say yes or no. And then that would go into then the birth mom and then sometimes also the birth dad's hands. And they would choose uh, which family was right for their child. And so it was just a lot of hard waiting. So we would get these summaries. We, I think at the end of our time, we had seen over 20 families in our inbox. Many of them we had said yes to, some we had said no. But every time we got a no in return, it was it was so hard because mm. while we sometimes we knew that they had ended up going with another family and that we, you know, well, at least we know that child has a family and it's a good situation. But sometimes we d- we wouldn't know. And it was just so hard. It was just a constant trusting that God was taking care of those families and taking their care of those children. Because we read mm. some hard stories of why these women were making adoption plans for their children. And some that made us just weep. Mm. And um, every time we got a no or a no answer, it was just, it was just so, so hard. But we uh, found out about our daughter, got an email on a Tuesday that there was a two-month-old baby girl in the hospital in our city, in Birmingham, whose birth parents had made an adoption plan. And as soon as I read that, I just burst into tears because to know that, because her her birth family was no longer with her in the hospital. So she was in the NICU. She'd been in the NICU for two months. Mm. And for a lot of factors that um, I can't share, she had been alone in the NICU, other than the wonderful nurses and doctors and social workers who took care of her. She didn't have a family for two months just in the NICU. My heart burst and I just cried it. And I'm like, oh, I just want 
to go hold this baby right now, whether or not she ends up being ours. Can I just go snuggle her? And yeah, so I was too emotional. I couldn't even email our social worker back. So my husband (laughs) ended up responding to our social worker saying, yes, like, in fact, like Bethany over here wants to, she told her like, she wants to go snuggle this baby right now. (laughs) So I remember, so we found out about her on a Tuesday on Wednesday said that we would be open to being considered by her birth family. And then on Thursday at 10.52, we got the call that she would be ours. And oh, I, it was just so shocking. Like I couldn't cry. I couldn't do anything. I was just so surprised. It was so funny because we were actually supposed to head to Tara's house that day. (laughs) I remember that. It was Memorial Day weekend and we had had this beach trip planned to their house. And so I had to like call, our our car was packed to go to the beach. Right. So I just (laughs) took the kids stuff out and took my suitcase, swimsuit and all to the hospital. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sand toys and all, beach toys came. <laughs> Sunscreen. And, um, so yeah, so I called my husband and three hours after that we sat in the lobby and we signed a million pieces of paper and got to go up to the hospital room and meet our daughter for the first time. And it was um such an overwhelming experience and it, it was so hard and I'll have how we were so excited to be her family and yet grieving over the losses that she'd already experienced. Mm. It's just been these two months of life Mm. so yeah so she was placed in our care in may and then following november we stood before court and said that this is our daughter and the judge agreed and it was amen it was an exciting long long but very exciting process Mm. gosh thank you for sharing that i got (laughs) teary-eyed me too that's beautiful i remember calling kelsey that day that you called me and i was like bethany and them can't come and kelsey's like oh no and I was like well they're adopting their daughter so then we were then we both we both rejoiced so yeah. it's like you know we're so happy for y'all's family what a beautiful it was, it was so fast because we the original summary has said that they weren't going to ask the family to come till Monday so we're like oh perfect timing we'll have to like leave a day early no big deal but they needed someone sooner because of some medical decisions that someone needed to make and so um like that was one re- reason that we were chosen is that we could be there within hours and yeah, we're able yeah. to be there and immediately start giving her the care that she needed. So it oh, was wow. very, very fast. Most adoptions domestically are not quite that fast, but sometimes they are. That's right. God, hey, wow. God made the way. He knew. He knew that baby did. was going to be y'all's baby. So, well, in within sharing that, obviously, I mean, that's a lot mentally, emotionally, I'm sure physically, and even and spiritually. So, would you mind sharing just some of the ups and downs that? That you personally, you know, were faced with, you and Joseph were faced with, and then even like post getting your daughter, things that you learned along the way. Man, there are a lot of them. I think that one of the most common themes across the the downs <laughs> of the ups and outs is just the amount of waiting and unpredictability about the adoption process. I know that when we were starting out, we would meet with couples and we were like, what is this like? What is this like? What is this like? And they're mm-hmm. all they, they kept saying, we can tell you what it was like like for us, but it's probably going to be different for you. And that's, and that's true. And it's, it's hard. And for my personality is one that likes control and likes to know things, how we're going to go and preach. That's me. We're the same. <laughs> and, <laughs> it was just, 
I constantly was having to be reminded that the Lord is writing our story Mm -hmm. because there were times when things didn't go the way that I thought they should go. Like we even had during our, our home study process, we had a delay that I thought was not fair that this, we've been doing the paperwork on time. Why should we have this extended delay? Like this doesn't make sense. Like Lord, why are you doing this? Find out later I was going to be pregnant. And there is, but at the time I just, didn't understand why we had done everything right and it was going to take longer than we had expected. And I assumed that the Lord's story for us would be one that was efficient. And the Lord's plans are not always efficient as we might think efficiency would be. They're not always the Mm -hmm. fastest route. But that journey definitely prepared us to be the parents of our sweet daughter. And we had to trust that he was sovereign over the way our family was was going to be formed that if we received a no, it was not because of some mistake. Because sometimes we would get a no. I'm like, oh, if I had said this differently, or if we had done this different in our profile book, would would they have chosen us? Mm, And I just kept having to remind myself that if they said no, then that was not God's will for our family. That was not God's will for Mm -hmm. them. So why would I want something that's not God's will for us? And so we had to trust that not only that God was sovereign and all powerful, but that God was good to us and that he was for our good and for our family. And so we had to, this is kind of how I always see it. Like as a writer, I think like this, like I had to learn to like, to set down my pen and just let him write my story instead of me spending all that mental and emotional energy, figuring out like, well, this needs to happen in this and this timing, and this is when it's going to happen. And just trust that he's going to write it with every up and up and down and wait and unexpected no, just like trusting that he was going to use it all to weave together a story. And he did. And he still is. Love that. Love that. That's so good. And what do you, I feel like you've kind of answered this a little, but I'm going to ask you it more straightforward anyways. What do you feel like adoption has taught you about the Lord? So, so actually that was my answer for that question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and I was even thinking about that when you're just talking about God's yeah. sovereignty yeah. And, and trusting that he is good. in him to, yeah. Yeah, and trusting in him to be the one to write your story. And and it is so easy for us to question because from our perspective, we're like, why not? And he knows. He knows all of that. So well, I, in I our culture, that. we it's like we treat it like Taco Bell. You know, you go and you pull up <laughs> and you go, here's my order. I want all the soft tacos and all the things. And, and then you want to pull around the corner and then hand it to you. And so it's like that we can't expect, like you said, we can't expect God's plan even though we think that awesome tacos delivered within two minutes are efficient, that he's gonna <laughs> that he's gonna work the way that we think that he should work, you know. So I'm really glad that you talked talked about that at church on Sunday. Our pastor he was sharing about Peter when he was in prison, and the angel essentially broke him out of prison and saved him from being martyred. And then he was like, "But eventually he was martyred." You know, it just wasn't the timing that God God had for him. And I just started thinking about like all of these things that we go through that we want it to end up a certain way, whether that be again with with him being set free or with him being martyred. It's like trusting in 
how God is going to use that to bring glory. I think that's just beautiful. It's beautiful to see him work even in ways that, that aren't always joyful. They they can be painful. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I love that story of Peter because when the church was praying for that, right. to happen, he like someone, I, I, I can't remember now, um, but someone had just been martyred. Yeah. James. James. Okay. James. And, and if I was that person, I'm like, why, why not, why not also Peter? Why would he not also keep the other one from our, and sometimes during the adoption process, it was really easy for me to compare. I would look at other families who had started the process when we did and be like, well, why did they get their baby already? Right. Or why does their journey seem to be easier than mine? Mm-hmm. Or, and it was really easy to compare like, God, why aren't you answering my prayer? Like you answered for them. Mm. And mm-hmm. I, again, like had to go back to like, not only is God good and sovereign, but God is good for me. God is good to me. And he cared mm-hmm. about our family and our story. And that's something I, I clung to when I didn't understand why. It's just that, and I can look back now and see some ways that things worked out and worked together. But there are other parts of our daughter's story that I don't understand. And I don't know why God allowed it to happen that way, mm-hmm. which seems so hard and so painful. Mm-hmm. But I also have seen him work in to know that if okay if he has been faithful in these other areas I trust that whatever he's doing in this area that he is also being faithful even though it doesn't seem to me right now like the best thing mm. yeah that's such a good way to look at it such a good perspective um, and what do you feel like are some other lessons that you have learned along the way yeah you know in more specific you know thinking of you've got two biological children yeah you've got a third child that you know you guys have now you know welcomed into your family so talk to us about, yeah, some dynamics that have happened and lessons you've learned, social situations, family situations, church situations. Yeah, so much I have learned. And I think the biggest thing that I have learned in this is that I'm always going to be learning. Like even at the beginning, I mentioned some of those terms. I didn't know that at the beginning. Like it's something I had to learn. And I I think there's a humility of that to admitting sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes I'm just not informed. There's, I can't remember who said it, but there's a, a quote that says something like, when you know better, do better. Like we don't, what well, we yeah. don't know, we don't always know how to respond. But once you do know, you know, once you now know that these language, the best language you use, you can use it. Once you know like yeah. how to, res- to respond to certain things in adoption, you can. And so I think that I've definitely had to take the position of a humble learner specifically. And so our situation is that our daughter is biracial. And so we have this added transracial element to our fi- family dynamics now. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of learning to do because our family is white and she is biracial. And we want to make sure that we steward that part of her identity well. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, just like I said, we honor her first family. We honor her first family's heritage and what they passed on to her. And mm-hmm. that has been definitely a place where I have had to learn and to um, seek out voices that can help me best care for her in that way because I don't naturally know how. And it's okay to say, I don't know. I'm going to learn this. Yeah. So just that posture of continuing to learn. And with our kids, we are just really upfront about it. We It's not something to be embarrassed about or something to hide. But it's also, we always want to be careful that she's not our adoptive daughter. Right. That's not, like right. I wouldn't go around would, saying. Yeah. That would be really tricky for me. How yeah. do you how and, do you word that? Because you're like, I have three kids. You know, do you, you feel like you have to explain that every time? 
time, you know, yeah, and, yeah. And sometimes, like, obviously for this conversation, I, you know, distinguish it because it's why I'm here. Right, but, right. You know, yes. A uh, random person on the street doesn't need to know. Like, that's not, it's something that happened to her in the past. And that's always going to be part of her story. But it's not a qualifier to her part of our family. She is right. my daughter through and through. Yeah. And so, yeah, so definitely we are up front. We talk to our kids about the different aspects of adoption that are beautiful. We, we celebrated her gotcha day actually at uh, Tara's house because we were down there again for Memorial Day. <laughs> and like I got to have a conversation at the cashier in Publix about why we adopted. It was it was fun. And so we don't shy away from the conversations, but we do know that it's just a part of her. It's not all of her. She's not defined by her adoption. She's not defined like her, her race is part of her, but it's not the only part of her that is beautiful and wonderful. And then I think another thing that I've learned is to holding both grief and joy. And I think that's really important whether mm. you are an adoptive family or you are supporting an adoptive family. There's, as I mentioned before, there's a lot of inherent trauma involved in adoption. And even though mm. our daughter was two months old, there's, she experienced stress in utero. There is scientific studies showing that babies experience stress and can ha- be traumatized even in utero. And then she experienced stress in the NICU with different medical issues and, and the fact that she didn't have a consistent caregiver. Mm. And so we grieve these parts of her story and while at the same time rejoicing that God used those to bring her into our family. I think that oftentimes we believe as Christians that when James calls us to count it all joy when we face trials, that means that we have to be all happy-go-lucky and pretend that the trials aren't yeah. there. Mm. But scripture leaves room for both lament and rejoicing. And someone pointed mm-hmm. this out to me recently, and I love this, but in Psalm 22 is right next to Psalm 23. So Psalm 22 is the psalm that Christ quoted on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The very next psalm is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Mm -hmm. And so you have these two psalms right next to each other. And so God is saying, you can bring me your heart and your grief. And at the same time, you can have joy and you can um, be happy with what the Lord has given you. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard and there's not like a secret to doing that. But there have been so many times where I've wanted to cry and laugh at the same time in our process and just letting both of those emotions stay and knowing that. And I think that's something God is teaching me that, especially as our daughter gets older, letting her hold both of those to say she can grieve the loss of her first family while still love us as her adoptive family. And both of those are important emotions for her to have. She can grieve the loss that she is not being raised in a family that looks like her. while also at the same time rejoicing that she is a part of our family and that we love and we cherish her. And so when Mm -hmm. you talk to adoptive families, like you don't have to make them choose. You can sit with them in the heart while at the same time rejoicing mm-hmm. with them at mm-hmm. where they're in the process. So you can hold both grief and joy at the same time because of mm-hmm. what the Lord is doing and how he's redeeming our stories. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. I'm so glad you talked about your criteria for an adoption agency because I remember when Tara had shared that with me about why you guys chose who you chose. And I just thought, wow, what a 
what a beautiful picture of family. Even like you said, the triad, you are all her family. And I, I do believe that in my mind, so many times that, that you've ever, you know, if you've seen a, a adoption on a movie or you've heard it talked about so many times, it is just this like, it's all about the family that's getting the baby. The birth mothers do get kind of this negative look. And so I feel like being able to just kind of shine a light on how like how much love that they need and how difficult that must be to give up your child and to really for us, especially as Christians, to have compassion on them and and to really have a heart of we want, you know, the birth parent and child to be together if that is the the best thing for that child, if possible. And and I just I think that's so awesome that you shared that because I do think anyone out there that is considering adoption, that is something that we should pay attention to and we should look at when going through any kind of agency instead of going, well, this one might be cheaper, but really going, okay, well, who, who really has the best interest of everybody involved? And so another thing I wanted to ask you is like, what would you tell another family who is considering adoption? Like what else would you share with them? Pray, 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 (laughs) pray with your spouse to be on the same page about it. Seek wise counsel and maybe even seek counseling. Like that was actually a part of our home study process that that my husband and I went to counseling just to process through like how, what we were going to bring in from our families into this, this process, how that might affect how we responded to the grief and the trials of the adoption process. Hmm. Count the cost. Um, This is not something to jump in lightly. There is a financial cost. There's, there's a time cost. A lot of children who, are brought into a family by adoption do come with trauma, do come with extra needs. And there is a cost and there is, I mean, for our daughter, it's been time to drive her to specialists and to therapists. And for others, that might be an even more financial burden and count the cost of your extended family and what that might look like. And not that, that again, like none of these things would be like, oh, if it's expensive, you shouldn't do it. Oh, if it's going to take a lot of time, you shouldn't do it. But really count the cost of, is God calling your specific family in a equipping your specific family to do these things. Like I mentioned, like we were nervous about the finances and the Lord provided, but the Lord, uh, but we counted the cost. We did the math and we knew what it was going to cost us. And so just really think through that and then start listening to the perspective of adoptees. This is something I wish I'd done earlier in the process, but especially now there are a lot of resources out there of kids who've been adopted and just listening to how they're processing their adoption stories now that they're adults. You have to be careful. Some of them are not believers, are not Christians. And so they carry maybe some baggage that the gospel could address, but their stories are still helpful. And But then there are a lot that are, and I can share some of these in the show notes, that are by Christians and that are, are really helpful in thinking through how, like what I do with our daughter, like how I help her process her story now so that when she gets an adult, she has a better sense of her identity. Um, mm-hmm. Then I would just, yeah, start reading and researching and constantly be learning. I would specifically mention if you are considering cross-cultural or transracial adoption, I would, before you even start the process, recommend reading It Takes More Than Love by Brittany Salmon. It's one of the best books on adoption that I read, but it specifically applies to cross-cultural or transracial adoption. And it's by a believer and just is really helpful and has a lot of practical questions to think about before taking that step. Oh, that's good. So Bethany, you kind of, you might've hit on this, but I'm just going to ask directly 
directly, is adoption for everyone? I would have to say no. Not every family is called to adopt, but I do believe that every Christian family is called to orphan care in some way. I mean, going back to that verse that we've quoted several times, James 127 says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father exists to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Every Christian can serve vulnerable families in some way. And just like not everyone is called to be an overseas missionary, we can all support missions by praying, by giving, by going on short-term trips. Like we understand that you don't have to be on the field to be involved. And so in the same way, you can pray for the adoptive and foster families in your church. You can ask them, what can I do to help? Or even better, just show up and clean their house. Right. (laughs) When I was, um, I ended up having to stay with our daughter in the hospital for about a week after we, uh, we took custody. She, it was a long week and I was in the hospital with her 24 seven. And the day before I came home, my sweet mentor at my church said, I know that your husband's been doing a great job keeping the house under control, but I'm sure he probably didn't clean the bathroom to your liking. So I'm on my way to your house right now to clean your house, especially your bathroom. So I'm like, I'm so embarrassed that you're cleaning my bathrooms, but thank you. And <laughs> we had families bring us meals, people who brought our kids toys to help them transition, oh, who brought man. us our first time doing bottle feeding to help us who brought us bottles because I had none that our daughter needed. And so support your adoptive foster families, support birth families, first families, like Kelsey mentioned, find the local crisis pregnancy center and see what needs they have. They always need diapers. Always, 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 always mm-hmm. need diapers. Just drop off a box uh, or even more like be part of a mentor to mentor these women who are choosing to make an, um, choosing to parent or choosing to make an adoption plan. You can donate to organizations that help with orphans around the world. One thing I love about our agency is they have a um, a, a portion of their ministry actually works with orphans who are, um, they call them unadopted, kids who most likely are not going to be adopted for many different reasons. And they serve just those kids, like the, this group of people within our um, organization. And so like give, wow. to those, give to these to orphans around the world. So you can meet the needs of women in crisis pregnancy center, orphans around the world, vulnerable families in your community. So um, you can provide respite care for foster families. So there are so many different ways that you can be involved with caring for the orphan and vulnerable families without ever having to do a home study. Some people are called to adopt and the church needs to surround them and to help them because it truly takes an entire church to bring a child home in adoption. Like mm-hmm. we would not have been able to do it without our local body and the other believers we know who have supported us. And so it's adoption for everyone. No, but everyone can help in the adoption process in some way. Oh man, that was well, Bethany. So yeah, good. that was so good. And just <laughs> thank you so much for just all of your wisdom, all of your knowledge, just um, sharing your personal story with us as well. And just giving us some things that we and our listeners may not know about the adoption process. I'm sure there's someone out there that really needs to hear all of this. So I'm really thankful. Okay. So guys, you can follow Bethany on her Instagram account at Bethany Broderick for more encouraging stories, blogs, articles, daily tips, and more. I love your blog. I love every time you share anything. It's always so good. So good. I so go follow I always reshare. I I'm too. like, she's, she wrote this for me. I'm like, Bethany was speaking to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> me, really. <laughs> but, uh, 
But you can also subscribe to her monthly newsletter. It's called Curated. And I look forward to this every month. She shares books that she's reading, you know, interesting podcasts that she's listened to, um, different blogs or articles that, you know, piqued her interest that month and just any and all um, publications that she's got going on. And she is on a plethora of awesome different ministries on Instagram and other websites and things. And so I just highly recommend we're going to put the link to subscribe to her monthly newsletter in the show notes as well as her Instagram account. But Bethany, what an honor. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day just to come and just share what God has taught you about adoption and just being able to enlighten our listeners and encourage them in this area to just come alongside in whatever way that we can and and be faithful to whatever God is specifically calling us to do um, and just to be obedient in that and not to be scared or fearful, um, but just to trust him, like you said, to step out in faith into the water if he is calling us to do that and know that he will be faithful and he is good. So, but before we leave, we just want to say thank you. So yes, thank you. And Bethany, do you mind saying a prayer to close us out today? Absolutely. Father, I praise you that you are the father to the fatherless. I praise you that you have adopted us into your family on no merit of our own and that you care for us and that you protect us. But Father, you also care for the vulnerable families and children in our communities and world today and that you hear their cries, you see them, and you have made a way to care for their needs and that is your body. You have called and you have equipped your body to care for these children. And so Father, I pray that to the listeners that you would reveal to them how they can be obedient to your call to to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction. Father, I pray that you would give them the courage to step out in faith however you are calling them, whether it's adoption or some other ministry. And I pray, Father, that wherever they are in their journey, that they would trust you are good, that you are faithful, that you are sovereign, and that above all, that you are their good, good Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Bethany. Yes, thank Thank you. Hey, y'all. Thanks for joining us today on the Sweet Tea and Jesus podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our podcast so you can continue along on this journey with us. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple so that others can find our podcast and be encouraged by these gospel conversations too. Also, follow us on Instagram for upcoming content, news about our podcast, and more. Thank you so much for listening, and we're looking forward to you joining us on our next episode. See y'all next time.